And I, I loved them because they were, uh, it was kind of full of uh, optimism and it was, there was a lot of faith in them. I, I heard faith. It's like, no, I know that God's calling us to do this, and I know that he, he, he's empowering us to do this. But I want to say one thing. When you are uh, volunteering, you're not just volunteering. You know, you're a partner. You're a partner. Jesus has called us to partnership. He's sharing his glory with us. And not, not to say that what you said was wrong, because you're right. You are volunteering your time. You're giving what he's given back to you. But it is really partnership. And I want you to understand that there will be those who stand before Christ, and they will be sad that they did not trust him and give back more of what they were given. But then there will be others who will be overjoyed, honestly, truthfully. It's the truth. So I want us to make those decisions and remember, man, we've been called to partnership. So let's, let's um, pray. Lord God, uh, man, I, that last uh, song was so beautiful. Uh, applied, thank you, Lord, for the blood applied. Seemed like an old Baptist. I know you're not a Baptist, Lord God, but you do tell us to be baptized, but you're not a Baptist. Um, Lord God, it all points to you. But at the end, we must remember first things first. We don't come to you. We don't offer to you. We have nothing to give you of value before we receive what you have done and who you are. It all comes from that. So, Lord God, I'm praying in your name, for your glory, God, that you would transform our hearts every time, every time, making us more and more like you, look like you, think like you, see and think like you. Lord God, every step of the way, every time we're exposed to you. I pray, Lord God, that we would be a congregation that we wouldn't hide ourselves in the walls of a building, but we would crave more regular partnership and abiding, living with one another, and then inviting others who are outside. They're lost, Lord God. It's it's not the ones who are accepted out there that will come to you. It's the ones who are marginalized out there. It's the ones who feel they have no place to go. You're the one who says, hey, come to me. I'll, I'll take you. <laughs> that's an amazing thing. At least that's how I can. So I pray this, Lord God. And I pray this for your church, and I pray this for your pleasure. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay. Let's look at um, chapter 5, verse 17, starting at 17. One day Jesus was teaching. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Um, I don't want to take too long on that, but there were times when Jesus would enter into the city, and it said specifically that the power of the Lord was not there with Jesus to heal. Why? Um, because God does what he wants to do. And I think one of the big things that I think that really kind of tells me that more than anything else, and I don't want to take too long on this, but Jesus said this. He said, you demand a sign, but I tell you the truth, no signs will be given to you. I've given you enough to open up your eyes. Now it's time for you to act upon what I've shown you. And he goes, I tell you the truth, I've shown you so much that if I did what I did for you to Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So I just, I want to say this. God is not toothless. He's not toothless, and we have to remember that. Okay. He got into one of the boats, 
Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and he tried to take them, and he tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd. I, I want you to imagine, this is one of those stories where you, I, you can really kind of imagine it. Use your eyesight, use your imagination to kind of see it. The place is jammed, it's crowded, right? Jesus is sitting there, all eyes, it's kind of quiet. People are trying to do one of these numbers and all of a sudden, stuff starts falling down. You're like, what the heck is that? And then before you know it, there's sunlight in the room and now someone's like, boop, 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 right in front. And I think that it's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful story. They now take their eyes off Jesus and they're looking at this guy, but Jesus is undaunted. He knows exactly what's happening and why it's happening. When, uh, when Jesus saw the faith of these men, he said, friend, now get this, your sins are forgiven. We're going to look at that in a minute, why that's so amazing. Um, because they didn't come for forgiveness. They came for legs to get fixed. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks with blasphemy? Who is the one who can forgive sins but God and God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking there. Why do you think these things in your hearts? Man, what he's going to say. And think of what he said. Why do you think Is that a rebuke? I don't think that's a rebuke at all. He's looking and he's like, why do you think this? He's heartbroken. Man, I think it's amazing what he says. Which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is an awesome thing. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you the truth, get up, take your mat, and go home. He gave him power. He gave him power through his forgiveness. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, for they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. We're going to see what real, genuine faith in Jesus being able to do the miraculous in a life can produce in our own life. And what was their end result? They went home and they were like high-fiving each other. Why? Because they saw something they had only heard about in history. And I think to myself, man, how many times is that true of us? We read of the Bible. We read of these awesome things that God does. We even think about history where men of God and women of God came together. They had this amazing faith. They worked together. They surrendered together. They encouraged each other. And God was in the midst of them. And what did he do? He did something amazing that we read about in a history book. I don't know about you. I'm tired of reading history books. I want to be a part of something that is historically significant. You know why? Because if Jesus didn't save me, I would have been absolutely unremarkable. I, the only thing I would have been remarkable for was what an amazing disappointment he must have been to his parents. It's the truth. So for me, he saved me from this place to where I would have squandered, squandered what was privileged to me for nothing. And now, man, I'm like in you. I'm ready. I'm willing and I'm, I'm, I'm willing. I need your encouragement. But to surrender. But I want you to. I want you as my family to surrender with me. You know why? That gives courage, doesn't it? 
when you're surrendering, that's why people, young men join gangs, right? They're surrendering something, right? They're becoming disciples. That's a bad word in the city, great word when it comes to Jesus. They surrendered themselves to something. Okay. So I want to go back to last week, two minutes, two minutes. And I want us to remember this. And one of the things that I see a lot in the Bible, throughout the whole of the Bible, especially when Jesus is speaking, he's a repeater of himself. Why do you think Jesus repeated himself a lot? Absolutely, and we're really forgetful. So it's like you're telling your kids, hey, take out the garbage. Yeah, I love you. By the way, take out that garbage. Yeah, I know you're going downstairs. I want to remember you. Take out that garbage, okay? You know, it's, it's Tuesday. Hey, hey, listen, I'm so glad to see you, but take out the garbage. Why? Because the garbage is still sitting there, and it should have been taken out. But I want to remind them and remind them and remind them and remind them and remind them. And Jesus is really great at reminding us. One of the things that I said last night, and I know that it's not gospel, but I believe it's Holy Spirit inspired, is this, is that information about God is valuable and important only if it is acted upon. If it's not acted upon, guess what? It stays dormant. It stays dormant. Still very true about who God is, but unless it's acted upon in my life, it really doesn't affect much of anything. Isn't that true? If it is not acted upon, it becomes trivial. That's a very bad word. Great for game shows, bad for following Christ. Trivia about God. It's, I love Bible studies, love Bible studies. But you know what we're not called to be a part of here? A Bible study. We study the Bible. We did it. The men's group got together. The women's group got together. We studied the word of God together because why? We have nothing else to talk about if we're not talking about that, right? But something happens in that group. It wasn't just... We heard the word of God together. We encouraged one another. We spoke as God was speaking to us. We were encouraged. We were walking away. Man, it was really great, and it's beautiful. And every time I walk out, and I can tell you, on Thursday nights, at the end of the week, I'm like, I'm tired, and I want to sit at home. And it was getting cold again, and I was like, man, I don't want to be outside. But I come, why? Once again, I can't observe. And you shouldn't be able to observe either. Well, the pastor, you got to do it. Who cares? Listen, when I'm gone, he's got another five lined up after me. I'm the least important person here. Remember this. Remember this. Remember, you have not come here by accident. You've not come here by self-will. You've been drawn. It's his work. So let's go back to this. Let's look at that trivia for a minute. If information about God becomes an issue of amassing knowledge, it is a very dangerous effect. And what is that effect? It passively hardens the heart. One of the most dangerous places to be, believe it or not, is in the church. It's both life-saving, where you meet God, you see the vibrancy of God, but if we are a bunch of people who hear a mass and then do nothing, it becomes a collection. Great for game shows, bad for disciples. Let's look at the reason why it's so dangerous. The passivity and hardening of the heart happens largely under the radar. We're unaware, we feel good, but something dies. And by the time it dies fully, it's too late. Okay? 
I want to give you the example because I always have to tell you. If I tell you something, you have to demand that I have res- a, a, a reasonable answer out of Scripture where you could go, oh, okay, I could see that, right? Am I right? In the book of Hebrews, whoever it was who wrote that said Israel had privilege, favor, and they had unrivaled knowledge about who God is, but they did not mix their knowledge with faith. What is faith? Is it some cup that we fill up? No, it's not. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's something that God instilled in us. Oh, I needed faith to believe in Jesus. No, no, no. You needed grace to believe in Jesus. You didn't have faith to believe in Jesus. You're dead. That's what the scriptures, Paul tells me, I was dead, not sick, not hobbled, not handicapped. I was dead. That means I had no desire for what he had to offer. None. And then many times, I didn't have any desire for God himself. The world was enough for me. I loved it. It was grace. And then through grace comes faith. So what happened to Israel? They learned not to trust God. Heard, but they didn't trust. And if there's no trust, there's no surrender. If there's no surrender, there's no action. And eventually, speaking of Israel only, after several generations of no trust... They became so blinded to God, they didn't see him as he stood in front of them. That's always the scariest thing for me. How could you not see the author of life as he's talking to you about life? Man, they hear it. There's no way they heard it. They're like, oh my gosh, I've never heard anything like this in my life. It's touching me a way that I've never felt before. And then they said, well, let me go home and think about it. Wait, what? I feel like this. For Christians, you know what we've been given? A royal flush. I know we shouldn't talk about gambling in church. But we all played poker, right? What's the highest score? It's a royal flush. Nothing can beat it. If you've been given a royal flush and you have ten, all you amassed all your money, turned it into cash and put it in front of you, everyone did the same. Did you throw in two bucks when you got that hand? No, you don't. You know what you try to do? You try to lure other people into putting all their money in, and then you go, I'm all in, right? Because you can't be beaten. We cannot be beaten in what Christ has given us. So we can't live investing like we have two pairs. Okay? So I want to just say that. True salvation prompts us to action. Listen to what James, Jesus' brother, says. Do not be mere hearers of the word, and in so doing, deceiving yourselves. Faith without works saves no one. Period. Okay, we're not saved by works. We are saved to good works. And I want to say that every one of us can do a good work, and we're going to look at that. So the first thing that we look at is we want to look at Jesus. At least every time I read a story or something else, I want to see Jesus first. I don't want it to be uh, ego uh, Jesse, Jesus, where it's like I look at myself, or Narsa Jesus, that's what they call it, where they're like, you take the Bible and you say, well, this is what it applies to me. This is how it applies to my life. No, 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 I want to see him because it's the knowledge of him and who he is and what he does that prompts everything out of me. Because can I tell you something? You could do good stuff. Like Paul said, I could do good stuff, but somehow there's something inside of me apart from grace that could take even good things and twisted them to bad things. I could be I'm just saying, you could be a person who has a church that is outwardly su- super successful, and you could do them all for your own reasons. They make me 
feel good about me. It's my success. It's my bona fides. It's my worth. No, it isn't. It's physical. All of it's physical. Okay. So when we first look at Jesus, we see our first direction. What's the first direction? If we want to work in unity, we have to remember this. Remember, love takes action. Love takes action. We have been saved to love. I know it sounds cliche, but love is not a hallmark card to understanding of love. God's love is vigorous. It is action-orientated, like you when you had a baby. Did you love them with mere words? No, when you get married, you know why many marriages ended? Because they liked the fairy tale until they got into the reality and realized that the reality was more difficult than the fairy tale. So they said, hey, I'd like a fairy tale instead of the reality. Am I right? Okay, yeah. So he is faithfully shepherding the people of God. Why? 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 Because his heart is filled with compassion. His heart is filled with compassion. He knows that he is will he he jesus is willing to minister 24 7 you know why because he loves enough to take action and he knows his time is short that's an example we have limited time that means i've got to choose because god knows there's lots of things that want to get in on the 24 hours you've been given there's a lot of places that want a part of what you've got in your hand am i right so i have to choose jesus made a choice as a matter of fact i think he made choices over and over and over and over we have to do the very same thing we have to remember that we have been called by god to live out of active love of compassion because our time is limited compassion cannot sit and observe only going back to james listen to what james says if i see a brother in need of help and i do nothing saying hey bro i wish you well keep warm well fed but i do nothing about it to meet his needs what good is that he doesn't condemn he just asks the question what good is that you know every great ministry that's been approved of by god has been birthed out of God, working in someone's life, seeing a need that's unmet and going, wait a minute, this needs to be done. And you know what? I'm going to say okay and start doing it. You know, I hate when people come up to me and say, I think the church should do this. You know why? I always go, who's the church? Where is that at? It's right where you stand. You know what? I may not even be called to what you're looking at. But I do know this. You're called to it. I'm just saying. So if I'm going to say that, I think the church should. I should be thinking to myself, where did I get that idea to begin with? And God, what are you telling me to do? And then the next thing that should come out of your mouth is, I don't even know what to do. And he's going to go, that's a great place to start. And then trust me when I tell you this. He will make a way. If you're patient, willing to persevere and stay the course, he will make a way. And you know what? Can I tell you something about small uh, life groups, small groups, small groups, small groups, life groups? Every time I've seen an example of a great successful life group, you know what? It never was successful at first. The successful ones always became powerful. They were, what a sight to see, but they petered out. You know why? People leave, man. 
they go here, they go there, they move, jobs happen, and then they leave. It becomes comfortable, and then it just kind of dissipates. But what does it stick around? someone else could take over your place and you could go somewhere else and do it again used by god it's never about me getting oh i got a church of 500 no no no. you're just an instrument god wants to use so that he can do something you hand it off and go somewhere else but that's powerful and it's powerful it gives us an idea about real true purpose focus okay we need to see ourselves if we're going to live this way we need to see ourselves as shepherds if you're a believer, only if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've put your faith in him, you've trusted him, say, I am a shepherd. No, I don't believe you. I am a shepherd. I am a shepherd. You know what a shepherd does? He either does it for money. Well, guess what? If you're doing it for money at New Life, don't. They don't pay. They give you vision, but no money. They say it right off the bat. They're like, money is not going to be a, a part of the negotiation here. And you're like, okay, great. That's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> but that just means that you have to really see the vision because that's the real thing where you're like, wait a minute, you mean God might possibly choose to use people like me, just me, only me? I might be a part of something that people read about or remember. Maybe we don't end in this church, but wouldn't it be cool Ten years down the road, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Ten years in the church, I'm like, that's cool. And something happened, and it sparked a movement of God, and man, the place blew up. And out of that, the church started to multiply out of that. Man, I'm, I'm in three launches down the road. But then that pastor, he got the stories passed down from that pastor, from that pastor, from that pastor. He's like, hey, we're over here because God did something there. And guess what? Because he's done something here three steps later, he wants to do something three steps down the road. Does that make sense? So we have to remember that. I have been called to be a shepherd. Every gift I have is not primarily for my gift. When you're dedicated to your gift, you're dedicated to you. A lot of gifted teachers. Super gifted teachers. But they're doing it because they're dedicated to their gift. Be dedicated to Christ and he'll use your gift when he wants to. Okay? Asking God to allow us. We need to ask God to allow us to meet the needs of the spiritually broken and the endangered that are around us all the time. How am I going to know? Everyone's going, well, I got other things to do. I can't be a part of the life groups. I'm not there. I'm busy. I'm this. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But how else are you going to know? I can't feel the sheep if I'm not with the sheep. I can't observe them if I'm just watching from a distance, man. If I come here for an hour and a half, you know what that becomes? It becomes an act, an act of doing. Here I do this. Man, we're not called to do, we're called to be. be. I don't want to use too many cliches, but I can use a lot of cliches. We have to remember, as shepherds, we have been saved from, listen to this, the love of law, which is any system that proves to me that I have worth. 
I've been saved from that. You know why? I don't need it anymore. It didn't work to begin with. Might work to, you guys are impressive, but it never worked with me. I could never look at those things and go, man, you are so worth it. We've been saved from the law, the love of law. Law says, hey, let me do so I can prove to you who I am. We have been saved to the law of love. And you know what the law of love says? I've gotten, I've been given to, and now I just want to be used to give it back. That's what it is. Okay. Faith isn't only about my personal peace, my personal rest, and my personal satisfaction. Sadly, that's how Christ is marketed. It's like self-help. Jesus isn't about self-help. He's about self-death. I don't know about you. My biggest enemy has always been me. I like to blame other people sometimes. But I'm always the one that's lurking around the corner. So Jesus saves me for me. If you're not cool with that, I get it. Maybe stick around and he'll change your mind. Because he's got a habit of doing stuff like that. My life now becomes about God using me for his program of restoration. Yeah, other things are part of it. Personal peace, personal rest, personal satisfaction, personal goodness, which is a moral goodness. All these things are kind of byproducts of it. And yes, we should attend those things because out of that good stuff, other things come out. But at the end, it's about me saying, okay, I want to be used. I want to be used. And this story tells me that people were committed to the need of another Savior. Okay, let's look at number two. If I want to be part of a group like this, I need to accept the fact that Jesus expects his disciples to be the means of blessing. You know what the biggest prohibitor of action is? I sit, I listen, and I think that is great, and I think someone should do it. No, no, no. Jesus is speaking. He's going, hey, what about you or you or you? You should be doing it. You should be doing it. Why well, I can't I? You know, I'm not able. He's like, oh, I didn't ask for that. I didn't want that. I, I, if I'm looking for talent, I certainly wouldn't have come here. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's the truth. If God needed talent, he would not have come to the earth. Right? Sorry, I know that sounds terrible, and you're like, this guy's a jerk. But I, I tell you, everything has to come out of the right place, or it's, it's tainted. It gets really so let me give you the example of this. Remember Jesus is feeding 5,000. First of all, it's not 5,000. It could be some people stay up with the 35,000 people. That's an incredible. Have you ever seen? I've been a part of a football game that had 50,000. The crowd is intense. I was at a Promise Keepers meeting. There was 100,000 people there. It was a sight to remember. It was a sight to remember. So 35,000 people on a shoreline would have been an amazing sight to see. So Jesus is teaching to 35,000 people, possibly, but it says 5,000, so we're going with it. So it's getting late in the day. Andrew, James, G Peter's youngest brother, younger brother, said, hey, Jesus, not sure you're aware of this, but it's getting late. People got to eat. I know that they're hungry for you, but they got to eat food too. Why don't you release them? 
so that they could go make arrangements. Find some place, get some food, come back here, fall asleep, and we do this again tomorrow. What does Jesus say to them? He says to Peter, Andrew, directly, he goes, you feed them. I can almost see Andrew going, whoa, I'm here to observe your work. And he's like, no, you've been called to participate in my work. And what does he say? He comes with a viable re- the response. He's like, where? How? I, I can't see it. I, this is, there's five thousand people here. I could work a month of Sundays and still never have enough to feed every mouth that's here. Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. So what does he say to him? Go back out into the crowd, see what can be used, and bring it back. What can be used? If I've been called to be the means of blessing, whatever I feel could be used in the bringing of Christ deeper and more profoundly into people's lives somehow is something I bring back to Jesus. Here's one for you. Time. Everyone gets it. Here it is, Lord God. You've given me 24 today. Got to sleep at least six of it. I'm going to give you back. What do you want? By the way, I got to go to work. And he's like, okay, I'm good with that. What are you doing afterwards? All right, you have a phone? Give him back the phone. Say, okay, now I'm going to get contacts in that phone, right? And I'm going to put numbers in there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let my beautiful little fingers do the talking. And I'm going to text someone because texts are really not intimidating. Phone calls are intimidating. They're intimidating for me to make, let alone get. I'm like, oh, no way. Why? Why don't we want to answer the phone? First of all, we want to be sure of who's going to be on the other end, right? But we know we could get caught up. Therefore, we don't do it. But a text, shoot that one. Now all of a sudden we do that too. So I could go through this. I'm not going to go through the list. But there's thousands of things that God has given us, gifts, that we can then turn back to him and say, hey, I'm grateful you're letting me use this stuff. How about a car? Here's another one, a car, beautiful thing, crazy thing, right? Man, I always think, every morning I always think, you know, Lord, I'm grateful for my legs because I've had to walk before, uh, but I'm grateful I don't have to walk now to get to a bus to get to work. And some people do have to walk. Does anybody have to walk to a bus to get to work? Man, it's all, it's all cool in the spring, in the summer, in the fall, but the winter, it's a little different. But, man, a car is a beautiful thing. I can say, hey, God, you gave me the car. What a nice thing you gave me. Here, how about using that? So now, if I'm with the sheep, excepting I'm a shepherd, because a shepherd doesn't get to be a shepherd unless he's with sheep, right? You find out, hey, man, how you get here in the morning? Ah, man, I'm taking the bus. I'll tell you what, where are you at? You know what? I think I could come pick you up. I'm going to come get you at 8.30 or 8.45 to be here. You know what that means? i got to give now time because i got to get up a little bit early on a Sunday. Am I right? You see how it kind of works through? It's just one thing after another thing after another thing after another thing. And before you know it, you're starting to flow. You're starting to flow in what God wants to do. God redeems us as his disciples from passivity, from self-seeking, or worse, ambivalence. You know what ambivalence is? Oh, my God. I, I got to get home. I really want to get back to the couch. I like the solitude of my home, but I'm hungry. I will hold the door open. Yes, I bet you do. And I'm, and I'm saying it anyway. 
but we've been saved from that. We now accept the fact that he has made us conduits of grace. We are acting in God's program of salvation in the lives of other people. You're his means to get in from here to there. Does that make sense? Uh, I don't want to overstate it because when you overstate things in the scripture, you can get dangerous close to heresy. All right, let's look at the third thing. Be determined. Determined minds see no barriers. These men were never deterred by the things that stood in their place. You know what I wrote here? I said, it takes courage to be dissuaded because of self-centeredness. Self-centeredness, sometimes we think to ourselves, what's well, about me earning money? It's about me having tons of leisure time and going to do this and doing that, and I don't care, and it's about this, and I'm going here, and I'm about my hobby and my thing and whatever. That could be part of it. That's the extreme end of it. But you know what self-centeredness could also be? Um, it could just be like, man, I don't need another thing that's going to put pressure on my life. Does anyone feel like they got pressure on their life already? You know, we, we, they always say, oh, man, we got more things going on. It's taking more things on. Yeah, and the government's trying to take 50% of it. We live in a society where you better make it because if you don't, you're going to be dirt poor living in a very rich country. That's why people are angry. They're like, wait a minute, we're rich? I don't feel rich. So you've got stress. Who here has got children? How, how many of you have got uh, 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 jobs that want your time and your effort and they have a tendency to stick in your mind and rent space out when you leave there? Right? So we've got stress. The self-centered person is like, man, I don't want any more stress in my life. So you know what? They come here on Sunday to taste. Yes, taste. Jesus is a deep, deep well. He'll satisfy your soul. But the water he gives doesn't just make me go, whew, I am satisfied. Now I can go back home. You're so satisfied. You're like, hey. If you had enough water, can I get you some water? Or you bring water back with you to wherever you're at and say, hey, I got this really great water. Do you want some of this water? Does that make sense? I'm sorry, I'm going to say that over and over because I want to make sense. So we have to resist this idea of being self-centered. And self-centered doesn't always look sinful, right? We have to accept the fact that this world is always going to present difficulties. Why? Because the current that we live in will never lead us gently toward God's will. No system in this world will make an easy path for God to win in anyone's life. It will actively resist. And it doesn't have to be some orchestrated thing by the devil. It's just a system that stops it, prevents it, offers other things instead of it. So if I'm going to be that person that sees no barriers, nothing to stop me, I've got to be one of those guys that says, you know what? I, I, I think that this is going to be tough, and I'm willing to pay that price. Are you willing to pay that price? Because can I tell you something? Here's the, here's the paradox. There's a lot of paradoxes in Scripture. If I seek out my own life, Jesus promises something. What does he promise us? Choose to save your life, you will lose it. Give it to me, and you'll find it. So you want to be rich? Give. You want to be forgiven? Forgive. You want to be fed? Feast. It's kind of a weird thing. He's like, hey, who are you trusting? You or me? 
I'm asking you to give what I've given, and then I'm going to give you an abundance. Seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, and all these things shall be what? Added unto you. Is he a liar? Has he ever not provided for you? Because he's always provided for me. Always provided for me. Okay, let's look at these five guys, okay? I believe, what I believe is this. These were not relatives because it would have said they were relatives. I believe they were friends. And you know what I think? This was the construction crew. How many people here are in construction? All right, we got one person. Okay. So these part, these guys were part of the construction crew. They all work together. So let's look at the things that try to stop them from doing what God wanted them to do, even though they didn't know God was going to do what he wanted them to do. These guys had to either leave work early or they had to call off. You know what? If you're a tradesman, you know one thing you learn right away? I could call off as many days as I want. Problem is, I don't get paid when I call off. So it costs them. You know, usually a tradesman, about 250 bucks a day, maybe 300 right? After taxes, that's what it per- cost them because they had to call off early. So either 12 o'clock, they're like, hey, I got to cut out. Or they said, I'm not coming in. What do you mean you're not coming in? No money today. It's okay. Here's another thing. There's no telling how far they had traveled. We don't know where these guys had traveled. We have no idea. It could have been five minutes away or it could have been two days away. All I know is this, is one out of the five guys couldn't walk. So how did that guy who couldn't walk get to where he was going? Probably like this. Hey, I'm getting tired. You going to hold him for a little bit? Yeah, yeah, let's get, get him over here. And then the other guy got him on his back. All right, let's keep walking. Four, five, four guys took turns carrying this one guy. Who knows how far, even if it's five minutes away. Come over here for a minute. Try to carry me to the end of the room. You'll be like, get on a diet, man. Well, I'm telling you, this was a huge obstacle in their path. They had a huge crowd to contend with. Life is busy. Things get in our path. Traffic. So if you want to be a person who ministers and is used by God to minister, you have to get from where you're coming at the end of an eight-hour shift, and you have to travel through an hour worth of traffic if it's the wrong time. And you know what an hour worth of traffic will do to you? Make you think twice about what you're going to do after that, right? You're you're like, hey, man, you know what I'm not doing? Meeting with someone after this. What you might be tempted to do is to have a drink. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Ever. Because it's never an answer, okay? I'm sorry if you don't like that. They had a huge crowd to contend with, and because they also had a huge crowd to attend, contend with, they also had a lot of attitudes to contend with. Because attitudes come hand in hand with a crowd right so they're like hey man i got my buddy he broke his back he's got four kids he's got to get back on the job so they're like so well i got to get in to see jesus big deal i took my mother-in-law she's been sick for two months hey but i want to get in there hey i brought my son my son he's got epilepsy and we've got to get him in to see jesus you know what i gotta get in sorry i've been waiting since 6 a.m you're here at noon i'm just gonna let you in you see what I'm saying? So now he's, they got attitudes to contend with. Here's another one. They had cramped conditions. They were not even sure. I'm not even sure. They could have gotten in through the front door. So they had to think outside the box. They had to say, okay, God, teach me to be a problem solver. And that's where determination comes hand in, hand in foot. 
what does he say is the mother of invention? It's necessity. If you want something bad enough, you'll figure out a way to get it done. That's how God made us. That's why we are absolutely made in the image of God. We are impressive. We climbed over mountains, took elephants over the Alps. We traveled over oceans. Why? To get to the other side. Many guys went over the oceans to bring the gospel to a people that needed to hear it because they said, why are we more valuable than they? Okay, just saying. Okay. What was their motivation? Motivation's always the fuel. They believed Jesus was the answer, and that was good enough to press forward. Do you believe that Jesus is the answer? You could say that unabashedly. Unabashedly. Man, I'm alone. Jesus is the answer. I am failing. Jesus is the answer. I'm an addict. Jesus is the answer. I've got tons of crazy stuff going on in my mind. Jesus is the answer. I'm, I've, I've, I've got so much trauma in my life, I don't even know what to do with it. I, I, I sabotage myself every all the time. Jesus is the answer. What excuses prevent you from full participation? You have to identify them. These men operated in courage. They were undeterred by what the crowd thought. Sometimes, let me tell you a quick story. Sometimes that prevents us. My sister-in-law, I got five, seven minutes. No, I got nine minutes. I'm going to keep it. So my sister-in-law, her sister, had a simple procedure that needed to be done. There was an artery that needed to be unclogged. The problem was when they went inside, they saw a huge tumor on and embedded in the artery. And they're like, no way. There's nothing we can do here. What was the backup? Can't do nothing. We got to we, we gotta figure it out. My brother Pat, not, at that time in his life, he was not a, self, a seeker of Jesus. But um, I, I was following Christ. And that was enough for him. So he knew he couldn't go to Jesus. Why? Because he was unworthy, right? But I'm just as unworthy as can be, right? But he went to me, and he said, you can go to him, right? So we prayed right there. I go, man, I'll pray. Let's pray right here. He's like, all right, sure. So we prayed, and then within four days, it was weird, because sometimes God will answer miracles just like that. Sometimes he won't, and sometimes he'll answer it. And then he said, this is miraculous. That tumor literally has shrunk for some reason, just enough for us to do remove the the the, uh, the, uh, the clot. So we're like, wow, that's awesome. That's great. So they do it, right? So what happens? Two weeks later, we have a graduation party. She sees me, and I said to her, she goes, thanks for praying for me. And I go, can I tell you something? You were saved not just to be saved. You were saved for a reason. And she goes, man, looked at me dead in my eyes and said, like, because this is not a victory story. Looks at me, goes, I want to know what that purpose is. And she was willing. And I looked at the crowd. We were at a party. And I said, Now this guy is dying. She went back in that next Friday for that procedure. She had a heart attack and she came out healed. Right? He could have used anybody's sailor, but he. He offered it to me, and I didn't, I didn't. 
Say something that impacted me so much. I, I remember I, it was this guy, Rick, at work, who Rick was rough, dude. Rick was rough, man. He was, he was a gay banger in his day, man. He was a gay dude. He was always a scowl on his face. And you would stay away from Rick. And one time Rick got this thing. I, come on, I can't give you this story too much. But he, he goes, Rick, what's the deal? Something's changed. I'm like, dude, he goes, my heart's, it's falling apart. He goes, I've got uncontrolled diabetes. The doctors got to examine this. Unless something happens. So I'm going to die early. And I literally, because <laughs> I'm such a scary cat, <laughs> I got behind a vehicle. <laughs> and I go, can I tell you the gospel? And he's, <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I told him the gospel. And he said, man, we're separated from God by our sins. Every one of us. I don't care if you've been going to church. You're a pastor's son. I don't care. You're separated from God by your sins. You're willfully at war with God. And the only way that you can be brought back is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You need to receive him today. And he goes, <laughs> he looks at me and he goes, that's what my wife told me. Learn, surely enough, I, I see him now every year. Comes in with his cane. He's got his Bible in his other hand. So I want to just say this. God use me? No, 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 no. Let's give Jesus applause on that. Did God use me? No, no, no. He used his wife. I was just a participant. He was teaching me. He's like, don't ever look at a party as the reason you don't do this. Ever again. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. Let's move to the last two. All right. La uh, there's a fourth one. These guys were fearless and they were faithful. Why? Why? What is our motivation to be fearless and faithful? This is one of those tricky things. Sometimes we get fearless and faithful, and we have, it is a gift. It's a gift of grace, but we pin it to our own chest. Man, my faith. I have faith. And yes, Jesus, praise you for giving me faith. But I want to say this. They were fearless and faithful because they could see themselves with broken legs and a broken body. Don't forget that you're here because of God. God used you and you would be where God is. Jesus is the ultimate paradigm shifter. We serve, we labor, we care, not for payment, but because we were once ones in need. God cared enough about you and I he had mercy on us, and he sent someone to us. Are you going to allow yourself to be used? Or are you going to observe? So observe for a little while. Don't be compelled into it, man. I, man, it can't be manipulation. It'll never work. It just doesn't. It didn't work in your home when you were manipulated as a kid. Right? All I've done for you. You're like, yes, Dad, you're right. Let me be a great kid. I yes, said yes, and then I went out and got That's not what he does, man. Paul said this. He says, I am compelled. I am obligated to tell everyone, anywhere, at any time, the good news about Jesus Christ. Why? Because I was barreling down a dead-end cliff. I was so blinded to my condition. I didn't see where I was headed, but Jesus stood in my path. Jesus prevented me from jumping off to my death. Does anyone agree with that statement? Raise your hand. Were you that person running off a cliff? 
or were you always a Christian? Because I love when they say that. I'm always a Christian. I'm like, you're not Christian enough. Man, this does something inside of us, right? Nobody ever came to God by their own efforts or their own understanding. God sought us out and used another person as the catalyst to bring us to him. I want to finish with this. Let's all stand up. These four men and the paralyzed man came to Jesus looking for physical healing. Wrong reason. But what do we see Jesus do? He rewarded them. Even though they had a wrongfully directed faith. Why? Because they believed Jesus could save this man's life. They just simply thought that Jesus would save them, save him by fixing his legs. Can I say something? It doesn't matter what the problem is. If their soul doesn't get fixed, then they have a whole body that goes fully into hell. I'm all for the church feeding the poor. Love it. But if I can't give the gospel while I'm doing it, I'm not going to do it. It just wears the saints out. You know what Jesus did one time? Up into the mountain, 10,000 people, Peter goes, I've been looking all over for you. They're waiting for you. He goes, yeah, they're looking for another meal. We got to go. What are you talking about? You're here to build a kingdom. Yep, and that's not what they want. They want they a miracle man who feeds their bellies. Now, I don't know who wants their bellies to be fed, and I'm all for it, giving any resources that we've been given and doing it, throwing it out there, investing it, and saying, okay, God, we're giving it to you, but at the end of the day, we have to remember this. Jesus knows the greatest need, and the greatest need of man is that we are reconnected to our creator. So I want you to remember, as we finish, the greatest act of service, whatever we're doing, is discipling a person to the likeness of Jesus, valuing him for who he is. And can I tell you something? If you think that this is something you put on your gun as a notch and go, I've mentored 35 people, stop it. This is a long-term project. That means I want to be involved. I know we have limited time, but we have to invest. Many of what things of what God wants to do happens just going out for lunch after a service. What did you think? Hey, meeting with someone before or after, calling them, texting them, come over to my house for a football game. Yeah, even Jesus can use football. So I want to say this. It's great for us to try to get people employed. It's great for us to work on their addictions. It's grateful for us to work. It's good for us to work on depression or anxiety, and all that is great. But Jesus didn't come to fix the world's problems. He came to fix the hearts of his chosen. God fixes the heart. This is how he brings heaven to earth. Let's worship.